podcast hosting for the Run With It podcast is provided by Transistor.fm. Welcome to Run With It, the podcast that brings you business ideas from established entrepreneurs. Each episode, you'll hear a new business idea and the exact steps our guests would take to get started. Follow through and you can earn a free mentoring session with today's guest and potentially a business partnership. Here are your hosts, Chris Justin and Ethan Janney. I'm Chris Justin. And I'm Ethan Janney. And today on the show, we have Shuhan He. He's a doctor and an entrepreneur. He's the founder of Conduct Science, a brand that creates high-quality equipment created and developed by scientists for scientists. He is also the mind behind Maze Engineers, which is a startup that creates automated mazes which allow doctors and researchers to further improve their studies on behavior and neuroscience. He's a fellow in emergency medicine at the Harvard Teaching Hospital, uh, Massachusetts General Hospital. Outside of work, he's a fan of fitness and wellness, advocating intermittent fasting and daily exercise. He has also done the Gobi March, a 250-kilometer race. That's exciting. I'm about to do my first marathon. Placed second in age division of 18 to 21-year-olds in a marathon and has done over 15 marathons, ultra marathons. So it's a pleasure to have you on the show, Shuhan. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, very excited to have you here. Quite the pedigree of uh, work that you're doing. Yeah, I think you'd be a perfect guest. Your existing business right now, if you want to take just a few seconds to talk about that and, and tell people where they can find you, just to set the context for why you're such a great entrepreneur. <laughs> yeah, sure. So our main company is called ConductScience.com. It is a company that resells and supplies scientific equipment, ranging everything from hardware to software to writing services to uh, homegrown services that scientists come up with. The way I think about it is, you know, scientists invent a lot of things. And over the last let's say 30 or 40 years, universities have really done a poor job capitalizing on the inventions of scientists too. This, I can really get into the history of this and pretty geek out about it. But the long story short is that universities do a lot of work with patenting and getting large grants uh, and patents and protections around scientists' inventions. And they haven't done a very good job taking care of other scientists that do anything else besides that. So uh, scientists who invent apps or scientists who invent websites and ideas like that. Um, what our scientists does is we do a lot of legal work and uh, consulting and development work with universities and academia and hospitals so that we can take those inv- inventions made inside of universities and tech transfer them out to the real world. We've been pretty successful at this. Because of that, we can offer really unique IP in our marketplace. So we have really cool things that scientists invent and that it works on a completely different model than how most universities uh, kind of tech transfer their stuff out to the real world. We offer a really wide variety of uh, scientific supply, anything from mazes that we produce ourselves. That's a whole other sector of uh, innovation and invention that we've done in our marketplace. We also have a web development service for digital health products. So we work with hospitals across the country to develop apps for their patients in the floor, ICU, whatever it is, and make them sustainable and uh, have a grow long-term. So we work with a lot of doctors, academia, uh, universities, things like that. I can talk about any of these things for hours and hours. Uh, I would love to, but I think we're also here for specific ideas and to bring in your audience to, to you know, see if they're, they're interested, right? Yeah, well, that's a great primer setting the context of uh, your experience here. I think that that's obviously a lot of fertile ground in medicine. And as you said, there aren't good rails for people to be able to implement innovation in medicine, typically the the patent route for pharmaceuticals, it sounds like. So amazing work that you're doing. 
great insight I'm sure that you're going to be able to provide with this idea that we're going to share with our listeners and looking forward to the conversation. So let's just dive right into it. Tell us a little bit about the the concept for this new business idea that you have. Yeah. Here, here's the quick pitch. Think of Rap Genius for medicine, okay? So here's the fundamental problem. When I discharge a patient from the hospital, I have to give them a completely separate, separate instructions describing what we did for them, what their diagnosis was, understanding the changes in their life that might happen because they have this diagnosis, right? The next steps or follow-up, the outcomes and the treatments and all these things that are full of technical jargon. Medicine is basically a different language by itself and is really, really hard to understand. So what medicine and has done by and large is to create a whole different set of educational materials for patients. So uh, you'll get a printout that is literally, you know, like fifth grade reading level or in Spanish or whatever it is, describing in general terms what this disease is. Okay. Separately, in my documentation as a doctor, I will sit there and I write it all out. Okay. So I will document everything that I think about actually what's happening and what I did for this patient and all the treatments that they got and the imaging, the radiology, all these things. Okay. None of that the patient sees. Okay. Those are documents that are the patient's right to see, but they don't see it because it's too complicated and to understand and patients can get it, but it's really, really difficult to get it. And a lot of this is due to understanding issues because the patient sees all this documentation. They're like, what is all this stuff? Like, what is, uh, you know, what, what is the physical exam that shows that there's the umbilical tenderness and um, why is there scleral icterus and jaundice and, you know, all these things that don't make any sense. And I think one of the things that we've, I've been trying to do this is a project called Dr. Lingo, where anytime I see a, a piece of lingo or jargon or anything like that from the medical world, I just put it up on a database. This data is live, drlingo.com. You can go see yourself. Okay. And we've actually built an API on this thing so that, and we actually have a live project on this thing where you can take that database and automatically detect medical lingo and translate to something that is, you know, easily understandable. So like an urban dictionary or a rap genius for this medical lingo. And the application here is that you don't have to manually look it up yourself. You can take the medical record that I wrote already and translate it so a patient understands what's happening in that medical record, right? That's one aspect. The second aspect is you can actually offer translational services for patients so they can understand their own medical documentation. A lot of people don't understand their own medical documentation, what's happening in here. And also for scientific documentation, right? I would love to be able to print a paper that a medical paper that describes why I made the decision I made and give it to a patient and say, this is what it means. And have it translate to something that's easy and more understandable. The other application here are medical apps and education apps. So you can imagine API or medical app or digital health app that needs some sort of like education component to it or component to it that helps you understand a disease specific to a type of digital health. So if you have a digital health app that helps you understand asthma, right? Anything that is to do with asthma, it can help translate and implement into your app. So you can start to integrate with other digital health applications, right? To make those apps stronger and better when it comes to specific diseases, right? That's a billion, almost $20 industry of digital health. And there isn't one tool that helps people understand medical lingo or jargon better. It also really matters, has big impacts for uh, medilegal, right? Because a lot of medical records need translation into something that, that juries, that patients, that defendants can understand. And so there's just a lot of applications to this thing that are really, really broad. But the seed is there for something that's real. You know, I've, I know it's a real thing because you know, I, I believe in it. I've put a lot of time into making this database by itself. It's growing. It's taking its time. It's been out in the world for almost two years now. And I would love for somebody to help come in 
and grow this thing. We actually have a real implementation of this in an app right now in a hospital. I can't say who, it's a confidential client, but I can say it is being tested in a, in a use case. So this is real in some way. But I, I want to see if any of your audience would be interested in blowing it up in a way that would really change the game in the way that people understand medicine and the lingo and the jargon behind it. Does that make sense? Totally. Yeah, I love this. It, and, and there's so many things that are, you know, it's just like when you see it in the in, in, on a TV show and, and the guy goes, okay, an English doctor, right? And they, they say, you know, you have XYZ and, they're, you know, you're just confused. They say in English. And then they say it in English as upon request. And it, it's very understandable. <laughs> but you have to, but it doesn't mean you can only speak in, you know, quote unquote English about it because, the medical terminology is important, you know, for doctors to be able to speak in that language. I'm, I'm imagining just like Google Translate, right? We have Google Translate. We can do Google Translate between Spanish and English pretty well. I guess what you're saying is let's make, you know, a Google Translate around medical terms and, and medical lingo, right? Exactly. But you know the app, how you can point the camera to something like a sign when you're in another country? Right. On right. Translate that? Same thing, but for medical documentation, right? Yeah, yeah. right. You can, so... I'll give an example. Epic, which is the dominant uh, electronic medical record that basically every hospital uses, is being forced to open up their, their API, essentially to create an app uh, orchard, what they call the app orchard, which is basically uh, like an app store for Epic uh, and healthcare applications. Okay. You can imagine a, a generalized app that plugs into Epic or like, you know, all scripts or whatever, the, like a lot of EMRs. They're all being forced to do this because of the Affordable Care Act. And so an app that goes through all the documentation and just lets you translate everything. It detects all the things that are jargon that people would not understand, right? And translate something that's really easily understandable. Great. Let's, um, let's hone in on this problem a little bit more. You talked about a lot of the benefits that can come about for different groups. Do you see most of the benefit going to patients or do you see this really benefiting medical doctors? If you had to put a percentage split on the value created, would it be 80% to patients, 20% to doctors for research purposes? What would you say? Does your question go to the entrepreneur as well? Like what percent does the entrepreneur benefit or is it purely for everyone else besides the entrepreneur? Oh, this is just, this would you just be for like, who are the clients? Don't yeah. worry about that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All yeah. Right, so I would say, you know, so the patient education industry by itself is like some ginormous industry that I, I like, I'm not a big fan of TAMs. You know, a lot of people love, like, especially if you're like a big investor person, like you love TAMs, right? I think TAMs are basically like, you know, you know what I mean? TAM, like, total, total addressable market, right? Okay. So if you're talking, yeah. if you're pitching like venture capitalists, they're like, what's a TAM? Well, yeah. TAM is, well, there's, you know, a billion people and a billion <laughs> people, you know, go through hospitals and they're all uh -huh. worth $500,000. And therefore the TAM is like $3 trillion, right? Yeah. And it's all, oh, wow, it's a huge market. Mm -hmm. Okay, I get that. But I'm not a huge fan of TAMs because you can just make up the number, right? I, I, for me, it's like it's like Mark Cuban. That's that's his. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I feel like a Shark Tank member, right? But like, or I feel like an HBS person. Like, oh, you need the TAM. I don't really care about the TAM. I care about like the problem that it addresses and how painful it is for people, yeah. and how many paid solutions exist around something, right? Because if people pay money, that means that it's like a real thing. So my thought here is that the addressable market, like the, the number of solutions that exist out there, to just companies that exist purely to help educate patients, is like. They're a dime a dozen. There's a million of these things. And they're right. all pretty big and they all make a lot of revenue. And they all basically write up their own educational materials for patients. And so it runs a gamut from older companies that wrote these things up on pieces of paper to newer companies that 
in the middle that was like video uh, education materials to newer companies that say, I will educate patients on virtual reality, whatever it is, like whatever the medium is, right? But in the end, to me, all those are secondary to the fact that the one thing that really matters is the medical record and documentation, right? Because that's actually what happened in that uh, encounter. And there's nothing that uses that piece of data as the educational material, right? So the reason I'm talking about this to answer your question is that I, I think it is really painful for both parties here, right? Because as a doctor, I have to go and explain things in entirely separate and second workflow to patients, right? I have to take the material, the source material, rewrite it again for the patient for that encounter to say, yeah, you know, we saw you, you're, um, well, I pressed on your abdomen. It was really tender in the right of a quadrant. And you had the demographics for somebody who has cholecystitis. So therefore I did a CT scan with contrast. And we found, you know, the four signs of, of cholecystitis, which are gallbladder wall thickening and, you know, uh, free fluid around the gallbladder and a large stone at the neck of the gallbladder that measures 4.3 centimeters. And this is all the signs of acute cholecystitis. And you, that's why you got antibiotics and surgery, right? Yeah. All these are very detailed in my notes, but my little documentation, it's like, well, you know, we did things for you and you went to surgery. And, you know, <laughs> it's like really, really simple because I'm really lazy and I have to write the whole thing again. So yeah. a lot of people don't really understand what happened in that, in that visit. And I would love to, and I, I verbalize that to them, but that's also verbal, right? It's, it's, verbalization is great in, in the short term because it makes you feel like I took care of you and certainly that matters. But when you have, you know, my mother was in the hospital 40 years ago and we don't have any documentation anymore and we don't really understand what happened. Or I'm trying to explain to, you know, my brother-in-law what happened and I don't really understand it. I understood it at the time when I was at the doctor, you know, he explained it to me. So for me, it's, as, a, as a doctor, it's really, really painful because that is entirely second workflow. To patients, you can imagine, I mean, the pitch isn't, probably isn't hard, right? It's, I have to understand what the heck is going on. So I would argue very strongly it's about 50-50 that both the docs and the patients benefit from this. Yeah, that's great. That really helps clarify things for me. So it sounds like this is something that would save you as a doctor a good amount of time. It would save you some frustration. No one wants to do rework, especially if it's low value rework, rewriting something that you've already done and you're just doing that over and over again. And it sounds like there's this untapped resources that patients don't ever get to see because it would be intimidating for them. They would just never be able to understand it. So yeah, I think that's, that's a great opportunity. Yeah, I'm also just considering like, you know, in my head, we're traditionally, when we're thinking about business ideas, we're thinking about like, how much money is this going to save someone? Or how much, uh, you know, how much money could they gain, stand to gain from, you know, investing in XYZ product or service? And I think what kept coming back to me before I even asked you anything about it was like, people's health are, is at stake here. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's it's not only the person who you're dealing with, you know, who who their health you know, their mental health is going to improve if they understand things further, but also uh, they care about their health that much that they want to understand it. So, so you've got that value there. But on the other side of things, if you save time as a doctor and, and deliver your care more efficiently, that means you get to help more people. You know, it's not necessarily, I mean, sure, more money can be made by helping more people more rapidly. But in the end, it seems like it's like the health of, of everyone benefits by the fact that you don't have to spend as much time uh, figuring this all out with each and every patient. You can move on to help other people, right? Is, does that make sense? Yeah, I, I think so. I hear all ideas all the time about how much money you save. And I actually avoid ideas that purely revolve around money saving because I think there's actually a really perverse incentive in a lot of, especially healthcare, when we talk about healthcare, like sales, right? 
Because when you talk about sales, you have to sell to managers, like department heads, who actually have very perverse incentives to save money, right? Because if you save money, you just get lower budget the next quarter or next semester, like whatever it is, really budget. So right. there's actually a lot of incentive to spend money and not save money mm. in healthcare or any corporation in, in general, mm. right? So I, I generally don't like pitches that revolve around how much money do you save? Because it actually does not generate revenue for the bottom line, okay? What it does though, what you argue though, is that this is an action that improves revenue improves patient education, right? So is the supplier, so uh, if this is a marketplace where you have the buyers and the, and the sellers, are both of them demanding this for their own workflow, right? Independent of each other. Like I know doctors want to help patients, but like I do a lot of things for my patients, but I also do a lot of things purely for myself and decreasing my own pain in my own life, right? And that's my actually my decision point right there. Not, not helping patients almost like number two, right? Like if it's helpful for me, it's definitely helpful for my patients too. And it's helpful for my patients. Like, that's amazing. That's a huge win, right? And then for patients, does it help them ahead of me, right? Does it help, does, does the patient want this because it helps them, number one, right? And it does. And then you also, what I like about this is that there's multiple tiers of possible revenue sources all the way from something to start off with, which is just purely creating a marketplace where you have doctors help translate medical terminology. It doesn't even require a technical implementation of this, right? All the way to incredibly difficult uh, technical implementations that require you to API integrate with hospitals, which I can tell you right now, you have to go through a data lake, you have to go through security workbook, you have to go through audits, you have to go through like a HIPAA audit. It's like incredibly painful. It takes a lot of time. And these contracts are like years, like years to negotiate through and to actually get paid. So a startup that purely relies on uh, hospital contracting better either having a ton of upfront investment or a better plan. And the better plan generally is low cost one to having a revenue outside of that. And this does, right? This buffers you because it doesn't rely on the fact that you have to, oh, um, uh, get approval from hospitals and insurers. I see this all. So I do like judging at the um, local like match challenge for healthcare, right? And I see this all the time where, it, you know, it's like, okay, I have this idea and blah, 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 blah. I see this much money and insurance companies will indefinitely pay us, right? Yeah. And they never will. Absolutely not. It's like the I call it like the magic button for um, for startups, right? You know, like the, uh, in movies where they have like this like magic script, right? It's like it's this like mechanism just to get out of random horrible situations, like a dream, right or whatever, right? Same thing for startups. They have this like magic uh, ma- like monetary mechanism, which is insurance companies will pay us, even though they are probably the hardest people to convince to pay for anything, and it does not rely on that. Any, any sort of health startup that relies on that, I am very, very skeptical of. Insurance like company the, won't even, pay, won't even pay, pay the medical bill they're supposed to for me. <laughs> right. So what when you think that because they saved a little bit on healthcare that they're going to suddenly compensate for this thing? And then like the 20 other things I had to think about before that even becomes true is enormous, right? right? Like, oh, do you qualify as a Medicaid payer? No, you don't because you don't have $2 million to qualify as a Medicaid pair because it costs a lot of money to become a Medicaid pair. So just people just like don't understand that. And I, I always have to educate startups on that. Like, hey, listen, you, you can't just like say you're a Medicaid payer. Like you, you can't just get paid by Medicaid. Like it takes, it takes a lot of money to become qualified to get paid by the government. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, uh, I think one advantage here with with uh, your your this idea that you bring forward and anybody who's interested in getting involved is, you know, if there is a way into working with hospitals, working with insurers, and in, you know these spaces, sure enough, it's going to help 
to have an actual doctor who is involved in hospitals and insurers and all these things and and actually cares to maybe you know help put some time and energy into figuring out the the details i think about like stripe right you know what's the story behind stripe they just picked a problem that nobody else wanted to solve because it was super difficult and solved it you know and you're pretty much bound to make money but it's a hard problem, you know, and you just have to get the right people involved and put some time and energy into it. And I feel like medical records and um, medical things uh, have that component to them as well. It's like somebody's going to solve these someday and they're going to they're gonna get paid well. It's just you got to, you know, make a little bit of a commitment and just get down to like sort of do the paperwork and talking with the appropriate people and you know, making things happen. And one thing that comes to mind as we're talking about some of the problems here, this is a longer term thing, but... Doctor burnout is a huge issue, and it's only getting worse. I read a headline the other day, and it was about how uh, part of the reason for that is due to the increased paperwork load on doctors. Doctors progressively have been spending less time with patients because they have to spend more time filling out forms and rewriting scripts and things that you're describing. So if there's something out there that can reduce that burden for doctors and increase job satisfaction for doctors, the meaning that they feel when they're at work, then that would be hugely valuable as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's there's so many angles to this, you know, but in the end, when it comes down to it, it saves time and money. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and, and, and it's a very reasonable mechanism that is not really terribly difficult, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about the solution a little bit more in greater detail. This is something that is going to be maybe a little bit complicated for the layman with the different some of the terms around around both the technical side and as well as the uh, different players involved. You talked about Epic. Tell us a little bit about the base solution as you see it, um, and then maybe you can talk a little bit about the longer term plan when you're talking about uh, yeah everything everything you're going forward. So I like to go f- on a gradient from easy to hard, and I choose easy a hundred percent of the time to start off with especially. So something that's easy is pure market creation, right? Like market in terms of like service. And it's almost like a consulting aspect first, right? Before you start step really heavily into the technical aspects of this, what you do is you ensure that people truly want this, right? So what you do is you set up a service and this exists. There are, I've seen websites like this and I've seen docs, especially in Europe that do this, that's will offer for patients and families essentially understanding of the medical documentation by translating it into something that is easy to understand, that doesn't require you to go through and rifle the medical literature. So essentially you get, you know, someone submit their medical documentation so that the patients and the families will obtain it from the hospital, send it to the service, and the service will, for whatever some cash fee, translate it into something easy to understand for the family. Okay. So not automated service, purely as a service, right? That's that's like arm number one. Number two is we already have this database. You can add to the database. Okay. So once you have the database, you do this in a couple different ways. The first way to do this is to auto-detect in the literature jargon. So anything that's an acronym, right? And this is something that's actually kind of regulated by Medicare services. There's all these things that are not supposed to be used in medicine that are frequently used in, in, in like documentation. So the example of this is MGSO4. So um, or like morphine. Docs are like for a long time, you shorthand code for a lot of medicines that led to a lot of medical errors, right? And so they said, instead of writing these error prone jargon, you should just write the medicine you want. Or instead of using these terms that are really hard to say, like PRN, we use PRN all the time. 
a PRN is supposed to not be used. You're supposed to say as needed, right? So what it does is it can automatically detect, right? Just through pure retrieval detection within the documentation for that term. And then when it sees that term, it just replaces it with ex- like expansion of like and does endoscopy PRN. Well, PRN now expanded it as needed, right? So that mm-hmm. a reader just easily sees that. So it's almost like a you know Google Translate or anything like that, right? So use based on technology, whatever the you know very off the shelf uh, technology services are, right? Or, or translation services, and use the same uh, technology to then use medical terminology as the language instead of you know English to Spanish or English to Portuguese, right? The next thing you do is education. So dysphagia, right? Dysphagia is not really an acronym, but it's a difficult to understand term. And instead of saying dysphagia, what you do is you translate that into something that's easy, more easily understood. So it's essentially an education regarding what dysphagia is. So dysphagia is difficulty with action of swallowing. So the patient describes significant dysphagia with dry foods, not to be confused with odontophagia, which is painful swallow. And that term, that's a real term that, uh, that's the translation that we use in our Dr. Lingo database. So you would just have to link it to dysphagia, which is what's, what that translation is linked to in our database, right? So that's the technology that's built right there. And then you build that out into different applications, depending on what it is. So if it's an EMR application, that's an EMR application. So electronic medical record. If it's a digital health application, you sell it in the enterprise to digital health. If it's a, um, a patient education company, you can subcontract with them, right? There's a lot of ways to go about this. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great breakdown. It's very clear. Yeah. I'm trying to think, um, I mean, something that keeps popping into my head and this may be long, long down the line and it may just be like a hot button word, but, and I, and I know they use this with Google trans, I think like that you can use, you know, machine learning, um, techniques, you can use artificial intelligence to, if, if, and I don't know how feasible this is given like the sensitivity of medical records and things like that. But if you could just grab, you know, what people are writing somehow, uh, the text of it, you know, and just start to compile what people write and, and how they translate it and just notice patterns and have, have a, an automated way to get some of that information translated. I think that could be very powerful. Yeah. I mean, so the, there's actually the, uh, the duolingo approach, right? So, yeah. Med students pay a lot of money to go to med school to learn these terms. Right. right. And you just turn this into like a service for med students to like, what are these terms in a bunch of flashcards? And then they translate to something that is useful. Right. And Love that can it. feed into it. So you, you just literally do the Duolingo. Right. You can also then turn it into the product that's paid subscription for doctors who are training. Right. There's another population there that is also for four medical grads. So there's a lot of people who are trained in medicine outside of the United States, and they try to come to the United States to practice medicine because it's more lucrative here, right? And that's actually how the United States fills a lot of their medical slots or, or slots to be doctors, right? There's not enough doctors around. So they just like take doctors from other countries and then they send them over here. And, but they have to get relicensed and go through the entire process and learn English and learn medical terminology all over again. So that's a perfect job population for this, right? Because it's people who are trying to learn medicine, but also trying to learn English. And medical English is different than, you know, the word for odontophagia in their home country, right? So they have to relearn the entire language again. So this is the perfect sort of service for them. So you can make a service out of this purely to teach doctors these terms as well, or training doctors these terms. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it sounds like you've opened my eyes, at least I'm sure for the listeners. Uh, there's a big opportunity here. We whet your appetite, listeners, for 
for uh, some of the ideas that you can pursue within this opportunity. Yeah, there's there's a lot more that we can talk over, but let's let, let's uh, keep going here to uh, to the value of the solution. I know you had mentioned that money doesn't necessarily drive what you do, but one of the questions that we have here is how much would a customer pay for this and why? You know, I think a good way to phrase that too is like, who's our first paying customer, you know, and what are they paying and why or something like that? Could be very interesting to right. thought experiment. Right, right. So uh, I'll throw it back at you. I already have a paying customer for this. So, right. Okay, great, for great. Hospital, <laughs> trying to implement this in the hospital, right? Okay. Um, but I, I, you know, that's that's a slow and slog process, right? Like I'm kind of in that sector. I kind of wanted someone to think about this a little more in the 20 other sectors it can be. Yeah. I mean, this, so, like, look, money is necessary, but not sufficient, right? Because you have to have a purpose in life, going back to what you said. But you have to think about money and how it's going to be profitable long term, right? So the way I think about this is that there is easy money, but less defensible money. And there's hard money and very defensible money. So money that's really, really hard to get is also, therefore, really, really hard to get for other people as well. So if you get it, you have a little bit more of a moat, right? But then there's easy money, which you have less of a moat. But that's what you should always go for first because you don't really need a moat. You just use the initial money you have to then go to harder and harder things to contract for like government contracting, things like that, right? So the easiest money, I think, in truth is things like educational content for doctors, educational uh, services or translational services for patients. Generally, education is really easy, right? But there's a million education companies out there. But the niche that you build here is a medical education tool for people to understand jargon and medicine. So for like med students, right? It's a very, very simple niche tool, just purely for revenue and monetization. And then once you've done that, you go to the real big money, which is integration to health apps, integration to EMRs, those kinds of things. And you work your way, your chain, work your way up the chain. Cool. I like it. Yeah, there's phases there. And I think then that in the first phase is really accessible to our listeners. You know, the next phase would, you know, maybe require more of a team and more connections and things like that. But the first phase is like, you know, maybe someone who's a developer can help help create that app where medical students can have flashcards. It's just like flashcards. It's like a Duolingo for, for medical terminology and flashcard learning, right? Is that kind of what you're saying? That's And, and you'll just get medical students, they're desperate to learn this stuff as fast as possible for their exams. So they'll pay a little bit of money. You know, they've got their huge student loans anyway. So they got <laughs> <laughs> no, no, they'll pay. I can tell you this as as like as a former med student, like when you're like three hundred thousand dollars in debt, it, yeah. money just stops mattering. mattering. You know? Yeah, so it's, like, it's all fictional at that point, anyways, right? Because <laughs> the only way to survive just as a human being under that much debt is to just block it out of your memory. <laughs> right, right. So yes, uh, I, I mean, what you do is you make it a million different types of tools, right? You do like audio courses and audio tools, like almost like an audio t- uh, application because that saves time for med students, right? Uh, I know there's a growing market in that kind of sector where it doesn't require active learning for med students. So you just hear the, the terminology and know what that means, right? And that helps, uh, you know, uh, uh, early on doctors to, or even pre-meds, to be frank with you, uh, who want to do well in med school to uh, essentially learn that material. And then um, then you, you, you build this out into a lot of other uh, services as well. You can also integrate with other educational services too. So there's a lot, a big market for test prep materials for doctors. And um, there's like Osmosis Learning, Firecracker, all these companies that are built around uh, essentially platforms to learn the content in med school. And so you can imagine uh, subcontracting with them to help build their tools, right? 
as well as build your own little moat as well. Um, so it's actually nice because you don't really want to get into the whole, like you have to make a ton of educational content for you know med students, right? Like that's not really our your shtick and takes a lot of time. And uh, what you really want to do is just be focused on the vocabulary component of that. Um, and that's that's really where the, the easy lift is, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and also like it's a business that if somebody started it and started working on it, they could continue on the basic business if they want. And the expansion levels, you know, may or may not work out. You can go in the direction or not, but you may be able to start a nice little lifestyle business, even if, if nothing else goes where, where the initial plan went, you know, you could continue on that path if, if necessary. Yeah. You know, my, my philosophy is that every, every business should go. be a lifestyle business. Go. I don't, <laughs> I don't believe in like, like this whole like, venture capital raise as much money as possible to just purely get bought out like i believe in like cash positive revenue positive businesses good for your life and enrich yourself and your family and the people you believe in right and so you know that's how i do business kind of have to in medicine be frank with you because the return uh horizons on venture capitalists in in, is generally not compatible with healthcare because healthcare is really really slow and you can't deliver a hundred times return in two years right but you can return 10 times in three years and make yourself millions of dollars, right? And that's a really good outcome for a lot of people. And I think generally how that's how I function is I look for people who want to you know, make a very, very good living for themselves and their family and the people who they care about, right? And um, I, you know, I, it's just this weird thing where like venture capitalists are literally the least important person in any business, but somehow they've made themselves the most important person. Like they're absolutely not important at all. Right, yeah, it's a, really care. It's a, there's a venture capitalist conspiracy, <laughs> right? Yeah, it's like I, I actually really don't care how many venture capitalists somebody has. Like, it's actually big money. So, um, what I care about is entrepreneurs who are can bootstrap and understand that that digital economy around bootstrapping, right? So, people who you know probably are more on the rework, um, you know, uh, indie hackers, um, Signal Thirty Seven, that kind of group. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So digital distributed companies, workforces, really important. It's a big advantage. Capital uh, light companies that are revenue and cash flow positive and that, you know, to be frank, does something useful in the world, right? That's why I do this. I don't do this to make venture capital a bunch of money. I don't do this to work a thousand hours a week for somebody else to take out, you know, mortgages against my own home to, you know, like I do this to take care of people who I love, right? Yeah, yeah. I think that's great. uh, We're going down a little tangent here, but I I want to keep going a little bit because you do have experience with this sort of setup in the past. I think on the the pre-call, you had mentioned that there have been other ideas that you've spun out simply because you haven't had the time. So tell us a little bit about what type of working relationship you have and, and what kind of, yeah, tell us a little bit more about the qualities and, and the, how that relationship works for you when, when you share a business idea. Yeah. So we have this working arrangement uh, in our own company where there's subcontract, sub companies within our larger company that um, we split uh, uh, revenue, all revenue shares and all profitability and all costs with. So I kind of treat it like a law firm, right? Or if you're a partner in a law firm, if you're a partner in a law firm, you take the risk of being part of that law firm and you split the profits, right? And you split it between yourselves as partners. So as partners, I always take people 50-50 because that's fair and you have equal C in the game and you better be sure you guys get along, right? That's super important. And it, it, it's purely a marriage through and through, right? It doesn't mean we split risk, right? So my portion of this tends to be one, my medical knowledge and two, my organization puts our way behind it as well. So we have staff members, uh, about 25 to 30 staff members that come in and they have their own functions as well. So it's usually marketing, SEO, digital marketing, healthcare, consulting, whatever it is, right? Development, all these things. 
what I looked for are people who work hard on their end and who can have time and energy and can execute, almost like CEO type like people. And then they take risks because they put in some sort of equity. So, um, you know, one our digital health uh, section department, essentially of our of our company. Um, the guy worked on this company for three years before coming onto our company, and we ended up buying him out, and he ended up being fifty fifty, right? And he's a developer, and he leads the tech, all tech components of it. And th- that generally has been very healthy and profitable, right, for everyone involved. I just like somebody who has real skin in the game and who really believes in in this sort of you know execution, especially someone who has some sort of real skin and belief in healthcare and uh, science in general, right? Um, something that's, you know, you know, I, I get it. Like I've done the whole digital marketing, like when I'm dating websites kind of thing uh, when I was younger and, uh, you know, we'll talk about the day, but you know, that's like a thing, right? And, but it's not my thing. My thing is, you know, you want to make tools that are matter for people in healthcare. That's, that's the perfect person. So those kind of relationships generally have been summarized 50, 50 um, skin in the game. You're, you get, it's like a law firm and a partnership. And if somebody leaves, they return the equity essentially, right? So if we decide to just not do it anymore, right? Because you always think about the divorce, how does divorce work, right? It's essentially the terms of divorce are, this isn't working out, you're not executing on it. Uh, we give you the baby back and uh, you know, just go with it. That's fine, right? They do risk it for everybody. We've already put a lot of money into this thing. And we have real customers, right? But I would love someone who can just grow this business like a hundred times. That's yeah, that's about it, right? Yeah, that makes sense. I, I think uh, what we're doing here is we're backing into the validation question, which I think is an interesting approach. There are a couple other questions that we have on our pre-interview sheet that I don't know that we're going to get to, but I think this is the meat of it. So I, I really want to focus on it. What does that selection process look like for you? You, you told us about some of the qualities. Uh, how can someone demonstrate to you that they deserve to be part of this business? Yeah, and particularly in the case of you know what we're kind of putting out there is like somebody's act taking some meaningful action within a, just a matter of several weeks, but it's something that's a real indicator of someone could could continue with the project like this take 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 a lot of the reins. Yeah. So now we're talking about you know selection of people, and which is by far the hardest thing anything one does, right? So here's the way I think about it: people who interview, like the correlation between interview and resumes to success, is very minimal. Uh, it's sometimes predictive, but not really. The best predictor for performance is performance, right? So in medicine, we try out people before they match to a hospital. In the MBA, right, you do pre workouts, and you know you'll show performance in. Uh, you know, college basketball, and that is probably performance. You know, that's like data for performance, right? So for me, it's the same thing. It's, do you perform? So I look at it as if a prospect has a bunch of knowledge and really fancy degrees and a four GPA from Harvard University with like, you know, pristine, like, you know, it's like, great. Uh, that's like your seven foot tall, uh, you know, wingspan NBA basketball player, right? <laughs> but then you put them on a basketball court and they can't play. It's like, okay, I don't really care. I'm not drafting this kid. You know what I mean? So if a kid can like perform, that by far is the most important factor. So generally speaking, what I do in, in how we've grown our company is that uh, we hire for small tasks. We've always done that in the past. I will actually hire multiple people for small tasks. And then I'll just kind of see like, eventually people just drop off and they get lazy and they like kind of like stop doing it and lose interest. And, like, and then eventually you just kind of sort like the winner, right? So I don't want to be uh, like, it doesn't have to be like some gladiatorial thing, but like, it should just be, Hey, cool. You can work with me. It's a very low bar, but the high bar is how do you, do you keep going? Like, are you just going to keep going? Like, when are you going to stop? You know what I mean? And, and that is by far the most useful thing, right? 
It's people who can work independently, but also be incredibly productive and bring value. And then it's like, oh, this guy's like really worth my time to like spend. And like, you know what I mean? Time is by far the most valuable thing anyone has, right? Like it doesn't matter if you're Bill Gates or me or like some random person, like you all have the same amount of time, right? Even though you have like massive, massive, massive money, like money doesn't actually matter. It's like time. And I really care about people who can save me time and bring value via their time and execution and the ability to execute. Right. And then also like be professional, like don't be late to things. Cause like, then you waste my time. Right. Or like, you know I mean? It's just basic things like that, but professionalism, people who show up and work hard and are nice. Like, I don't like assholes. Right. Like <laughs> that's kind of very basic things that you think are like really easy, but they're not. And yeah. I, I think that's pretty simple. Right. Because then I love like young hungry people who just, one opportunity and then they can run with it and, you know, enrich themselves and, you know, their families and then also me and then, you know, in reverse too, right? Like everyone wins that way. There's no, like, I just like it when everyone wins, right? And that's the everyone wins scenario. That's a perfect validation for what we're doing here really is because we're trying to connect entrepreneurs like yourself who have limited time with hungry people who are willing to follow through and prove that they, uh, that they can take quality action. So yeah, let's talk about some of those specific actions that you can see. I know that there's going to be some level of, of uh, autonomous thinking by our listeners here for uh, different ways that they can approach it. But it's, it's helpful if we can give them a few starting points that they can expand upon and, and take in a different direction. So if you were to come up with a checklist of, let's say, five, around five items of tasks to start out with, uh, simple tasks, as you said, and you give them to multiple people and have them come back and you evaluate from there. What would those tasks look like? Yeah. So it'd be evolved around three categories, actually. Okay. So I think about everything in three categories. A category is one is the outbound. So what can you do to grow like and grow something so more people hear about it? Uh, so category two is the product or the, the landing. So what can you do to improve the website and the technical SEO and the speed and things like that? And like also like what's you know the, the inventory and database of lingo on, around this core product? And three, what kind of like uh, variations of the product can you create? Okay, so let's start with those. Type one is outbound. Can you like get our name out there and, and get the service out there and build around that? So that includes like okay, Facebook posts and Instagram posts and you know, Reddit posts, really simple stuff, right? And building strategies around getting customer awareness and newsletters and that kind of stuff, right? So how can more people hear about it using very tangible tools that are, you know, pretty basic, right? Second is, okay, um, well, we always need more lingo, right? Because we don't have a complete database by any means, just imagination. And we would love to add more stuff to it and make it better, right? So if you're Urban Dictionary or Rap Genius, you always, you know, want a better product. And then when we talk about the product, we also talk about derivatives of products. So how do you make this, you know, education app? How do you make this uh, education app for med students or this service for um, patients and doctors to get their medical records translated? Or how do you better integrate this with APIs in hospitals and digital health tools, right? And those aren't exclusive. Those three categories aren't exclusive, right? So if you're talking about digital health tools, there's probably a different process and sales process, right? You're not going to go on Facebook, because it's an enterprise product, right? Um, but it does revolve around some thinking there and, uh, you know, expertise and knowledge. I, I don't expect anyone to like tell me how to make this digital health product and innovate with EMR Epic and go through the day. Like I, I have zero expectation of that, right? But, you know, if you could tell me, oh, hey, this is like what the app should look like for medicine. It's like, okay, that should be pretty easy, right? Like that's doable. Um, 
or like, hey, how do you? Uh, and this is something I haven't thought about. Like, what's like the Facebook campaign look like? I have no idea. Like, I literally haven't. But more than two seconds of thought of that. So yeah, yeah, I'm thinking along the lines of you know just just as far as like you said, gaining an audience, figuring out what kind of traction you your you have and what kind of direction to go in. You know, a Facebook putting up a Facebook campaign, maybe even a paid campaign, you don't often have to pay that much to do like a basic Facebook ad. But that's that's geared towards, you know, doctors or or actually maybe medical students, right? Medical or pre-med students that basically says, here's what we have. We're doing, you know, we're creating an app to help you study for your um, exams. And I'm actually, we didn't really talk about this, but it sounds like taking the Duolingo approach it gives an added selling point. So people may actually get excited. Um, I'm going to study, but by using this tool to study, I'm going to help the industry, you know, by, you know, providing lingo translation that will be, could be used throughout the entire industry one day, you know, and make the whole system work better. And if you could sell it that way, you could definitely, you know, niche yourself down um, and, and, and sell yourself over the other apps that are just like, Oh, we have digital flashcards. You know, that's what we have. Right. Yeah. I, I can't tell if the person you charge is the med student in that situation or the service where you translate, you know what I mean? I, I don't really know, but generally my philosophy is that, the faster you can charge someone, the better, right? Because you monetized. And especially for this person, like whoever is listening to this, right? Like right. how does this person get to a dollar as fast as possible? That, that's generally how I think about it. And running a Facebook campaign that validates a product that's paid that I can get someone to sign up for, that would be amazing, right? Because then you've, you're, you, this person is like a closed loop person. Like they're generating their own revenue at this point, right? That's like a real thing. I'm wondering if you could take the uh, the sort of student loan approach and basically say, listen, if you're a medical student and you want to study for your exams and you want to do like, you know, lingo, understanding the lingo and so on and so forth, you're actually, we're going to ask you to pay for this app and it's going to be X, Y, Z dollars a month or something like that. And we're really going to help be committed to helping you study. Once you pass your exams and you become a doctor, let us know and you get free access to this service. That'd be really interesting. It wouldn't be, you wouldn't even need to know. You would just look them up when they match. Like that's a public database, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, totally, yeah. And so then it's like they're investing, they're investing in themselves right now through their studies, but there's a, you know, there's a potentially, and, and you're, you're making them fully aware, you know, this may not work out. It's kind of like Kickstarter style, but, you know, you are not only investing in your own education, but you're investing in, you know, the future of the industry, as well as, you know, you're making an investment that you might be able to piggyback on later. If there's paid access for doctors, you could really, it might be expensive and you could really, you know, bank on that later on. Yeah. You can even imagine that when they become docs, they become contributors to the, the service, right? So they get authorship uh, when they make the articles surrounding the certain lingos, right? And they qualify for that when they become doctors. And then you study off of that content as a med student in context of being a med student, right? So like whatever context that is, like learning the lingo. Um, and you can imagine you break it, you break lingos into different sections that match the rotations you're on. So like if you're on a surgery rotation, you get the surgery lingo set right? And when you're on heme, you get the hematology lingo set so that it matches the time you're at and the things you're studying, right? And then it supplements that. Do you think there's a space where um, somebody trying to sort of like prove their, you know, their, their grid on been being involved in that project um, might take steps towards getting involved with an app, an existing app like Duolingo um, saying, hey, you know, 
we love what you do. We want to piggyback on that. Are you interested in being involved, being an advisor, you know, helping, you know, implement your technology so we don't have to rebuild the wheel? Is that something that would, you know, to you prove somebody's sort of like abilities to to continue to be involved? Make sure I understand that. I mean, Duolingo has a like elf language feature, right? Like you can make I don't a, know. I have not. Yeah, they, they have like these like user built languages. Yeah, Valerian, I think, is in there from Game of Thrones. Right, right, right. I didn't know this. So that's like a thing, right? It's like medical link. I don't know. Like, I, I, I don't know what the up-to-date thing on Duolingo is, if there's like a incentive to monetize the medical dictionary that you upload into it. That'd be really cool, uh-huh. right? Because then you, you brand it as like the, the Dr. Lingo, like Duolingo thing. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I'm, I'm all about that. I, I don't know the exact mechanism, but if somebody could figure it out for me, like, great. You know, that's right. exactly what it is. Figure out the integration and saving time and energy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, you, you know, I, I'm all about, like, not reinventing the wheel, right? But yeah. also, I'm like, oh, hey, how do you use this to your advantage, right? To build something that's like, oh, this is, like, a, a great... You have Duolingo, I'm sure they have, like, an affiliate mechanism some way, right? So if you, like, create a, li- a dictionary and there's an affiliate mechanism to get people to sign up for your, like, language, I'm sure that's a real thing. I, I just don't know. I haven't used Duolingo in, like, five years, so I, I don't yeah, know where it's at right now. Yeah, me either. Another service that comes to mind is Anki, A-N-K-I. You guys may be familiar with it. It's a, it's a free platform, but I'm thinking a, an easy hacked together way of getting started with this. And you're not protecting the IP necessarily doing this, but uh, you sell a set of Anki flashcards for 20 bucks for the entire medical dictionary that you've got. And sure, people can take that and they share it around with their their friends and maybe it, it propagates a little bit further that way. But it's something that you can do quickly, proof of concept and generate some revenue that way. Do you think that something like that would be a valid approach to start? Yeah. Are people charging for Anki flashcards now? I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so, but... I, mean, I, I used uh, it back in the day, like med school, and it was all free back then. Like people would yeah. just make these things. So like they would make their like girlfriends or whatever, like, make them for them, and then they would share them with the community. Like it's, yeah. that's just what happened back in the day, right? So competing with free is hard, but yes, like, yeah, absolutely. Like if there's a market for it, I, totally, 100%, right? I'm really loving the... I, my my mind is really spinning on like the networking approach to trying to build this business. There may not be much that comes from it, but I think it's an interesting exploration. So I I would really just I feel like I could see Google doing this, where within Google Translate you could type in something, it would be like language detected, medical jargon. And then it has you know a translation, but it would be interesting. You know, Google is so vast and there's so many interesting, unique people that get involved with projects there. You know, if you could try to develop a contact with someone who is within Google Translate and say, hey, I've got this really fun idea. I'd like it eventually to turn into like a business within the medical industry. But, you know, maybe we could partner and try to develop Google Translate for medical jargon. You know, just get started with it. You know, a- absolutely. Have any advice. I'll, I'll give you an amazing story here. So Mayo Hospital, I think around 2009, went to Google. and They were like, listen, um, just for the goodness of our hearts, I mean, not for the goodness of our hearts, we're going to help uh, you know, make a lot of really good content that, you, that show up in the answer boxes for Google medical searches, right? And you, Google will basically auto-rank them really, really highly in the SEO, right? You got inbound organic. So why does Mayo do this, right? Because then they would make articles about really profitable procedures, like, you know, uh, catheterizations and knee replacements. And so therefore, like, really rich, like, uh, sheiks from the Middle East will fly to Mayo. Because how do you get patients that go to Rochester, Minnesota? It's like, you know, you have to really want to go to Mayo, right? So this is like a real thing. And uh, 
you can imagine that if you're the answer box for technical lingo for people, right? Then you then put in a little affiliate link for you know the hospital that, that wants to you know then bid for that that spot and placement for the uh, the you know heart cath procedure that costs forty thousand dollars. Like you know that, that's you know that's a thing. We have to, we have to talk about you know medical advertising and all these things, but you know that's like, like a real thing, right? Yeah, that is interesting. Yeah, and and also to be clear that the suggestion I have it could be totally non commercial, but just a uh, sort of like using uh, implementing Google Translate technology as as a way to get started on this and get you know get the project moving faster. But yeah, that is such that's a fascinating story. Very cool here. Um, Shuhan, we've, we're uh, coming up on time, so I want to be respectful of the time that you've allocated for us. Really appreciate the conversation. I think we've given a lot of food for thought to our listeners at the very least and, and uh, a good number of clear action steps for this idea. So uh, really appreciate you coming on and having the conversation with us. If people want to learn more about what you're doing, they can visit conductscience.com. Anything else you'd like to add? No, go to drlingo.com too. And you can submit your own lingo if you want to. <laughs> okay. That's great. 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 Well, yeah. so. well, thank you very much for the uh, conversation and looking forward to connecting you with some listeners. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Now it's time for you to run with it. Follow through on the action steps discussed and email a summary of what you did to update at runwithit.fm. Every listener who emails us will gain exclusive access to a private Facebook group of action takers. And one listener will earn a free mentoring session with today's guest and potentially a business partnership. Help us build the Run With It community of generous entrepreneurs. Please like, subscribe, and review us online. And remember, the secret of getting ahead is getting started. Podcast hosting for the Run With It podcast is provided by Transistor.fm. They host our MP3 files, generate our RSS feed, provide us with analytics, and help us distribute the show to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. If you want to start your own podcast or you want to switch to Transistor, go to Transistor.fm slash run, that's R-U-N, and get 15% off your first year.